The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC can be found online at overlandpark.cc. Welcome to OPCC. If you have your Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3, we're going to pick up in verse 14 and finish off the last letter to the seven churches. Um, So pretty cool stuff that we've been learning. Anybody catch the fight last night? See, Conor McGregor broke his leg. Now I broke my back. <laughs> I got up to the, I went up to check on the kids the other day. Um, we had to leave the house. They put a new meter on our house, and there was a gas leak. And so we called them. They said, "You need to leave." So we didn't have anything to do. So we drove up to tell Jonah, "Don't go home." He was up at the school playing basketball with Grant and a bunch of other young spry dudes, and I jumped in there in the middle of them, which is not a good idea. <laughs> I'm not spry anymore. They were playing on a, a lower goal, and I, uh, so I got my fair share of dunks in, but not without a cost. <laughs> I was watching them boys, man, they come flying through there and doing all kinds of different moves, flying through the air. All I could think is, I remember I could used to do that, and I was like, I'd be scared to death to do that right now, break my ankle or something. And that's funny how we get older and things just start breaking down, and we cannot do what we used to do. Um, and when, when there's brokenness of any kind, uh, it, it's just like something we don't like, you know, especially when it comes to finances, right? I'm broke. Um, and we think if I could get a little more. If I could get a little more, I'd do this, and then we do this, and then we go, if I could get a little more, then I would do that, and then we do that, and then we say, if I get a little more, I would do this, and so we get this more sickness, um, and it's something that we really need to guard against as uh, American believers. It's a very unhealthy sickness that can re- really begin to impact us, and this church that we look at today um, it was, a, it was Laodicea um, was the wealthiest city of the seven that we've looked at. <clears throat> it was known for having a banking and a manufacturing. Uh, they had a banking industry. They had a manufacturing industry where they processed this really fine black wool. Uh, they were also known for um, a medical school. And they had developed this eye salve that... You could put on your eyes and it would help you during a time where, you know, there wasn't a lot of medical treatment during this day. And they had had a breakthrough with this and, and people would come and they would, they would purchase them, these things from them. And so it was, it was, it was a very wealthy place to live. Um, it was so wealthy that when that great earthquake that impacted many of these cities and destroyed a lot of stuff, when it came to Laodicea, they, they refused financial assistance from Rome. They had the cash just to rebuild all of their stuff. And so they were very proud about who they were and the money that they had. It was a great place to live and make money. Not unlike where we live here in Overland Park, Kansas, the greater Johnson County area is a great place to live. A lot of, a lot of people do really well in this area. It was also a very safe city um, that it was hard to attack. They, obviously, they had the money to train people and have a, a, a force in place to, to protect them. Um, and it was just the way it was located and situated. It was a very secure place. Um, but it had this elaborate aqueduct 
that would bring water from a city six miles away. And so when you look at all that they had, its weakness was its water. Because the water, by the time it got to the city, having traveled six miles through this system that they developed, it was dirty, it wasn't cool and refreshing, and it didn't taste good. And all an enemy had to do in order to like, really disrupt everything that was going on in their city was to stop up the water supply. And so the Lord, like, he comes and he visits John, and there's a, there's a church in this area. And this church um, has a lot of believers in it. And these believers, there's a lot of stuff going on in their lives that's displeasing to the Lord. And so when we look at these letters, there's a lot to learn from, okay, this is what was happening to these Christians um, during this time in the early church. And it's also a warning for us throughout every church in every age from that time, as the scripture would be applicable to the church, even us today, and every, every generation, this, met, this letter speaks to it about, hey, these are problems that you have to battle against in the church. You have to protect against. They'll creep in. And then there is um, a lot of theologians believe that these seven letters also point forward to different times um, in church history about how the church would function. And so for those who fall in that, that camp, and I can see a lot of this, like I, I see this, I don't think this is unreasonable, that, but before the return of Christ, this is a picture of what the church will look like. And so there's a little bit of prophetic thing, uh, teaching going on there from the Lord about, hey man, just prior to the return of the Lord, the church gets really unhealthy. And... Um, and, and again, when we say that, we're, we're talking about the church universal, so just it's forced here on the planet. We're not talking about every single believer or every single church, but just what begins to happen to the church. And so it, it becomes very anemic. As a matter of fact, there, there will be an apostate church, a church that proclaims to know Jesus and doesn't know anything about Jesus. And so when we look at some of the things that some of the churches um, around today that claim to know the Lord, but they don't have anything to do with the Word, that's how that begins to happen, and that's why the Word is so important to be the central thing that guides everything that a church does. And so that when we look at Revelation chapter 3, beginning in verse 14, it's kind of keep that in mind, that backdrop of all those things going on. And this is what the Lord says to John as he reveals the vision to them. He says, To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. So he just pretty much says, hey, you have no, no spiritual awareness, no awareness about what's really happening in your life. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich. Interestingly, that they were rich, and he says, buy gold from me so you can become rich. And he says, and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness. 
They had this, this, this luxurious wool that they had developed, this fine product in this ancient world. And he's saying, look, you're like naked people running around. If you really want to be clothed well, buy clothing from me so you could cover your shamefulness. And he says, in salve to put on your eyes so you can uh, see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So if you ever feel like, man, the Lord is really leaning into me on this, that means he loves you, okay? Don't be afraid of that. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so, man, the Lord's like, he gives them a really strong rebuke, probably the strongest rebuke of all the seven churches. But then he gives them a very encouraging word, man. He says, you will sit with me on my throne if you overcome, if you heed my words, if you have ears to hear and eyes to see what I'm talking about and you receive it, I will do um, things in your life for all of eternity. I will help you. And so Laodicea had it all, but they were broke. (laughs) And so what's funny is you can be a wealthy person and be broke, and you can be a broke person and be wealthy. And that's, the, that's kind of the heart of what the message is about today is that, man, we live in a world where materialism is something that really distracts us and gets us off focus. And so these believers, they, didn't, they, they weren't consumed with the things of the kingdom. They were consumed with the things um, that were happening all around them, the material things that they could purchase, the money they could make, the success that they could have. None of those things are wrong, but what consumes us, if it is the driving passion behind us, and then the Lord becomes an afterthought, we forget about him. That's why Jesus is standing at the door knocking. No one can hear him. He's like, I'll be old. I stand at the door and knock. I'll come in. I'll hang with you. I'll eat with you if you'll open the door. And so they were... Um, in this position of having a, a really spiritually arrogant, thinking they were in the right place with the Lord, thinking they were on the right track, and probably believing that just because all of the things materially that they had, that they were pleasing to God. And so they had become self-satisfied, and the material was more important than the spiritual. That gives us our first takeaway. Wealth always creates a sense of security. You say, well, I'm okay because I'm not wealthy. Wrong. Just by living in America, you're a wealthy person. If you compare yourself to the rest of the globe, we're all wealthy. And so, like, we look at it and, and, and we could always measure and go, okay, by American standards, if we compare ourselves to Jeff Bezos, then maybe we're not wealthy like him, right? But if we compare ourselves to the believer in a third world country and Africa, and they like look at us, and they come to our, our home, and, and they go, this, we're Jeff Bezos to them, right? So we have a lot of wealth at our disposal as Americans, and we have, to be, we have to understand that wealth creates a false sense of security. Numerous material possessions are not a sign of spiritual blessing, okay? Now, God will bless us, and there will be things that uh, that I believe God does provide for us. There are provisions, 
But man, we can look at people that don't care anything about God, and they've got numerous possessions, way more than we could ever dream or think of having. So when we look at possessions, they're not a, an indication or a sign of the spiritual blessing of God. It doesn't matter how much you have if you don't know Jesus. And if you don't know how to walk with Jesus, what good does it do to have everything in the world because you can't really enjoy it? That's why when people get really wealthy and they accumulate a lot of things, uh, Ted Turner was asked how much is enough and his answer was more, right? That's what happens, man. We, we get so many things and then we just want more because we have a sickness of the soul that we're looking for the material to meet the need that only the spiritual can meet. And when we get off focus and we start looking at the things around us as opposed to looking at what's going on within us, then we are making life about the material and that's what this church was doing. And that is dangerous for us. That's dangerous for us in the Western world. There are a lot of the advantages um, to being a believer in a third world country. You're not going to be as distracted as much by things, uh, uh, this slick marketing campaign that tells you you have to have a brand new vehicle every, every two years or that, that, that it defines your image or that you have to have a certain, um, you know, you have to remake your house all the time. It is all this stuff is just constantly thrown at us, Right. You get, you get a great bow, man, and then they tell you you need a new bow. And Indians were using wooden bows. So what is the deal? Like The deal is we, we, there's a desire in us. We always want the next best thing. And so like I'm not saying that it's sinful to want nicer things. Like I, I want nicer things, but I am saying that when the pursuit of things moves ahead of the pursuit of Jesus, it is a black stain on our lives. And it screws everything up. And that's what the Lord is trying to get a hold of this church. He's trying to say, look, you guys think that you've got it all worked out, but you are all wrong in the way that you're approaching life. And so the wealthiest are often some of the weakest people um, around. Here's the second takeaway. Church involvement does not equal spiritual life. So, so being involved in the church, this church was involved, man. They, they were known as the church at Laodicea, a very wealthy church. And it was filled with people, but it was filled with people who didn't really know Jesus. And so, like, you can come to church, um, and there are a lot of churches with a lot of confused people. And you say, well, why is that the case? Why is it that there are so many churches that there are so many confused people? One of the reasons I think the most, uh, like the number one reason that there are so many churches with filled with a lot of confused people is because there's not enough teaching of the word of God. There's too much teaching of uh, self-help and too much teaching of what I think and, and how, you can have a, how you can be a better husband or a better wife or a better parent instead of how you can be a better follower of Jesus and yield to the truth of the word of God, which would make you a better wife, a better husband, and a better parent. And so like as we, as we get away from the word of God, then we are naturally going to drift away from the solid a core teaching of truth that keeps us holding on to living in a, li a living life that is pleasing to God, and we start bringing in our own opinions and all of these other things. And so, church involvement does not equate to you um, being like uh, having spiritual life, even if you go to a church that teaches the Word of God. Okay. You can come to church every week, and you can sit and listen to the sermons. You can even walk out and tell me, hey, man, I really enjoyed the sermon today. And you can come back next week and do it over and over and over, and, and I appreciate you telling me you enjoyed the sermon and all that, but it doesn't mean you have spiritual life. 
Like you, if you are not receiving the truth of the word and applying it to your life, then you don't have spiritual life. Sometimes there's no one harder to reach than a person who thinks they're a believer and they're not. Like that's going to be sometimes, it's easier to deal with a guy who knows he's not a believer and you tell him the truth and he's like, whoa, I'm really messed up. But the guy that thinks he's not messed up and he is messed up, you can't even hardly get him to look internally at himself. And that can be a very difficult thing. So don't equate that, hey, I belong to this church or I belong to that church and therefore I have spiritual life. The only one that can give you spiritual life is Jesus. And if you're not walking with Jesus, you don't have spiritual life. That's just, that's just how it is. And so these people... A lot of them, they were part of this church known by the name of Laodicea. They were probably a lot of them that were unregenerate. What do we mean by that? Well, listen to what the Apostle Paul says to young Timothy as he's telling him in a letter about how to lead the churches. And he says this, but mark this. And he's talking about when things like toward the end. But mark this, he says, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God having a form of godliness, but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. That sounds a lot like the culture we live in, doesn't it? Like having all, like they, all, everybody says in America claims that they know God and that, that they are following God, but there's no power in their lives. And we see a, a tremendous amount of unforgiveness and rudeness and rashness and conceit and loving of pleasure. It makes one wonder what time we may be living in as Paul says that during the last days, things will increase and get worse and worse. What we learn from this is Paul is teaching Timothy how to lead a church, and as Jesus is giving John a revelation about the Laodicean church, and for that matter, for his church throughout history until his return, we learn that it is possible to go to church all the time and know nothing of who Christ really is. That is an accurate description of this church, and I believe it is an accurate description of a lot of the church in our day. Claim to know God, but we don't see anything different about them. And so what I want you to know and what I commit to you, and will stay the course, and you should get rid of me if I don't, is that as your pastor, the most important thing for me is that you know him that you know him. That is why I don't avoid uh, hard teachings, even like, even like this one today, or something else. When I feel the Lord is calling me to say, teach something from the word, you're going to receive it. I don't avoid the hard teachings, even if it means someone will not stay, because I would rather them leave this church than me be responsible for their soul. Like, if you don't want to hear the truth and follow the church, truth, this is not the church for you, Right? It's just the way it is, and I make no apologies about that because I'm not just trying to build a, a nice, cozy life for myself. That's not why I moved to Overland Park. You don't go into ministry to build a cozy, comfortable life, okay? It's just not the thing you do. 
I came here because I believe the Lord called me here and planted me here to help people follow Jesus and to plan a ministry that would have a significant impact on the culture and do everything that I can until the day that I die to reach people for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why I'm here. And so I don't, like, I'm not here so that we can have a great big church, and we're not building this uh, building project as, as we continue to see advancements in it in order to have a great big church. We're trying to walk in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ and be faithful to what he has called us to do and see people come to a place of repentance and spiritual life where it is, it, the Lord is moving in them. And they're not, they're not just part of a, an organization, but there really is transformation happening in their lives, that dads are learning deeper and deeper how to follow Jesus, that moms are learning deeper and deeper what it means to live a life of sacrifice, that kids are learning in a deeper and deeper way what it means to follow Jesus and lay your life down for him, that families are getting stronger and thereby neighborhoods are getting stronger and communities get stronger and cities get stronger and the nation gets stronger. That's what's wrong with America. What's wrong with America is the church has got to get stronger. And so I believe the Lord has strategically put me here to lead you in such a way that you yield to the truth of the word of God, that you let the Holy Spirit convict you of your sin, that you are reminded and recognize when the voice of the Lord begins to lean into you and rebuke you over the way that you're living, and you don't avoid that, you step into that, you repent, and you let him take you on a journey, and thereby culture is shifted because you have been shifted and you are in culture. Culture. And so like when we begin to do that, man, we get really healthy and the Lord starts to move and our lives are no longer about us, they are about him. And so that is why I'm committed to discipleship. Because in discipleship, you see, you, 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 could, you could go on without discipleship and you could do some great things in ministry. Um, but the truth of the matter is, is that you might not get a church filled with people who are really surrendered and sold out to following Jesus without discipleship. You might get a large church. You might get a big church that is doing a lot of missions work. They're, they're helping people and stuff. But when it comes down to what's happening in the individual, it's, it's really possible that nothing significant is happening in their lives. But when you walk in discipleship, what happens is something significant will happen in people, and you will end up with a very significant and powerful church because people will be following Jesus not following some leader, not following some movement, but literally following Jesus as the Spirit of God leads them out on a journey to uh, do whatever the Lord asks of each one of us to do. And so as we stay committed to discipleship, what happens is we never get in a comfortable, cozy place and our faith stays white hot and we don't become like this Laodicean church that Jesus says, when I take a drink of you, I just want to spit it out. That's an awful description. Everybody says, well, Jesus is love. You're not reading the same thing I'm reading. Jesus gets, he, he is love. But I can think I can see here there's a little righteous anger when someone says they've been reclaimed by the power of the sacrifice that was made of the God of the universe on the cross of Calvary, and he has forgiven them of their sin, yet they live a lukewarm life. Jesus is saying, I'm not down with that, bros and sisters. I'm not down with that, and you need to know it. And the church needs to know it. The church needs to see a picture of Jesus that says, man, he's not just the suffering servant, he's the conquering king, and he is worthy of our allegiance, and he's worthy of us being white hot. 
And it's more pleasing to him as if we were ice cold and didn't know anything about him as opposed to being lukewarm. It's kind of like, man, when you've been outside working all day and, 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 and you don't have any water and you're, you're out maybe in a, in a remote place, maybe like getting some hunting ground ready, right? Amen. Amen. And you're thirsty and you get back to the truck and you open the truck and there's a bottle of water in there and you grab it and it's like 85 degrees. It's like, oh, this is, this is awful. Like, it's not what you're looking for, but man, if you brought a cooler. That's one thing good about hanging out with Shay, man. He'll always have a Yeti cooler filled with beverages. You hang out with me, you might get hot water. <laughs> so anyway, that's what the Lord is he's trying to give us a picture of that. And so he's encouraging us. He's saying, man, like, you guys stay white hot because whenever you try to follow me and you don't stay white hot, you're just not going to like my faith. That's really, I think, what the Lord is saying. It's no fun to follow Jesus when you're lukewarm. So he's saying, figure out how to be white hot. And how you listen to the Lord or how you do that is just by listening to the Lord. So we spend a lot of time trying to disciple people on not just, hey, man, we want you to come to church and give and serve and, and do these things. Obviously, we need you to do those things, right? We can't function organizationally uh, without that. But, but the main thing is we want to teach you how to pray, <laughs> We want to teach you how to read the word for yourself. We want to teach you how to open it up and hear from the Lord yourself so that the spirit can press into you and the church can become all that it's supposed to be. And so it, like we invest in that and we work hard toward it. And sometimes we get discouraged because it feels like people don't want it. And that was the problem with this church. They're too busy with all of the things that were happening around them and they didn't want it. And, and the Lord is saying, look, it won't work unless you want it you got to have the want to. And here's the last takeaway before we get to the big idea. Jesus is a gentleman. It's important for us to know. Although he is the amen, and it says in uh, verse 14 there that <clears throat> these are the words of the faithful, true witness, the ruler of God's creation. He is the amen and the ruler of God's creation. He will not force his way into your life. Like Jesus will not do that. Every person has what is known in theology as volition, which is a free will to choose. Everybody, everyone in here, you have volition and you can choose whether you follow Jesus or not. And he says to us in this passage, here I am, I stand at the door and I knock. And he says, like, I don't stand at the door and knock it down. He doesn't force himself into your life. The problem people often have is the same that this church had. We become too preoccupied. Listen to this. We become too preoccupied with what we can see instead of what we can't see. And that's why I'm preaching this message is because, it, man, these, the things that we can see will distract us. And we place the physical over the spiritual because we can see the physical and we can't really see the spiritual unless we develop eyes to see. And Christ was knocking, but they were so preoccupied they couldn't hear him. It's kind of like if you're having a party at your house, man, you invite somebody over, 
maybe they're, they're new, they don't know anybody, and like you have all these people, you're having this fun time, a barbecue out in the backyard, and you had some new neighbors that moved into the subdivision, and you knew they needed to connect, and so you invited them too, and then all you and your friends are out there playing cornhole and having a good time in the backyard, you got music going, and your friend who's intimidated is standing and knocking at the door, and you're so preoccupied that you forgot you invited them, and they end up leaving, and then you find out later that they were there, and you're like, oh, I feel so bad. Jesus is like saying, man, I'm standing at the door, and I'm knocking. If you'll open the door, I'll come in, and I'll sup with you, and you with me. I will hang with you. We will be one, and I will do incredible things in your life. So if we become like too preoccupied with like all, anything, if you... so. If you're, if you're in your, you know, 30s, 40s, your career time, like when you're in your 20s, you're worried about building your career, and you say to the Lord, man, I'll, I'll, I'll get to you once I can get my career established. When you're in your 30s and you begin to climb that ladder, then you might begin to be so preoccupied. You say, well, I'll get to that when I achieve this particular place and we're in a better financial position. And we just keep kicking the can down the road. When you're maybe starting in college, you're like, well, I'll have time for you, Lord, when I get finished with college. There were always like, the, man, like I believe <clears throat> the word teaches very clearly, like if you're a Christian, you study the word and you believe that Jesus was God in the flesh and you read the gospels, you will find that Jesus very clearly taught there is an enemy out there. There is a spiritual force that we cannot see that is trying to pull away from the uh, glory of God. And one of the ways, like, they, like <laughs> we read about these things in the, the Bible and they're so weird and foreign to us. A, a person, possibly, they have um, a demon possession, and we're like, man, what's going on there? They're, they're Jesus casting out a demon. Like, I've never seen anything like that. I don't think the devil works like that anymore. I think the church has brought, in, brought so much light and the spirit of God now having been on the planet inside, indwelling people now for two millennia, the devil has had to get much more crafty. And so if you look around, it's not hard. Like you look and you go, well, why, why is there so much? Like why are people killing each other at the rate that they're killing each other right now? And we get confused by that. Why is there so much evil in the world? And then we, we look and we go, how is he functioning? That's one way he's functioning. Addiction is another way he's functioning. But you don't want to know what, why he's able to sort of like influence the direction of the world and, and, and how much like off-center we are if, if, if indeed we were really surrendered to Jesus. It is because he's made us busy. We're so busy and preoccupied with obtaining the material things of the world that don't make a hill of beans when they bury you. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what color your house is and if it's the latest trend, and you'll find that out very clearly if you get told next week that you have cancer. You won't care that you have Sherwin-Williams latest color and that you're, you have the latest furniture and that your walls look like this or your car looks like that. You don't care about any of that. Why? Because you've started to focus on what you can't see instead of what you can. And so the enemy's greatest strategy is to get us preoccupied 
with our flesh and the things that we can see and make life all about that. And we need to recognize that Jesus is a gentleman. He's not going to force his way into us, into our lives, but he will stand there and knock and he will say to us, hey, listen, I will show you how to live if you will just listen to me. If you will follow me, I will show you how to rise above all, all of these things. And so Christ is knocking at their door and they just can't hear him. But what would happen if the reverse took place? Why is Jesus telling us this message? Why is it so important? Because when we receive the word from the Lord and we really do hear him knocking at the door, we're born again. Transformation happens. New life springs up. In John chapter 7, verses 37 and 38, Jesus was teaching one day, and this is what he said. On the last day, and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of water will flow from within them. Now, the city's greatest weakness was the water was running to it instead of from it. That was the problem with, its, with this. That was its vulnerability. So when we put this together and see what is happening, the greatest, and we, uh, the greatest weakness and danger of the church is the living water running to people instead of from people. And I get back to church next week, man. Got to hear Pastor Jimmy preach a sermon. You got to let some of that water run to me. That's not how it works. Now, now, hopefully, there is a little bit of, we can think maybe of the imagery of the old-time pump, and you come, and I'm pumping you up. But the water ought to be coming out of you if you know Jesus. It ought to be just coming out of me. It ought to be coming out of all of us. And whenever we all get focused on that and go, man, the living water is supposed to be coming out of me, not running to me, but running from me, then we are a wellspring of life, and we begin to influence those around us because they see that we have something refreshing to offer. So the big idea of today's talk, open the door, man. Just open the door. Open the door and let Jesus come in and sup with you. Some of you may not know anything about what that's like. You know Jesus from a distance. He's like your neighbor. <laughs> that you, you see him getting his mail, and you're like, hey, Jesus. And Jesus hey, Jesus, we're going to be out of town for a few weeks. Would you water the dog? Jesus, could you, you know, uh, could you pick up, uh, when you pick up your kid today from the school, could you pick up mine too? And Jesus is like, hey, how about a barbecue? How about I come in and I hang with you for a little while and I start eating with you? I eat with you and you with me. That's what he says. And so we can't treat Jesus like a neighbor in the cul-de-sac. We got to treat Jesus like our family, man. He comes in. He's dad. Jesus is the alpha of your home, or you aren't being obedient. Amen? Like, so you, you got to open the door and say, okay, Jesus, this is not my home anymore. It's yours. And he gets to come in. What's that mean? That means Jesus gets the remote, right? When I'm watching TV, I get the remote. Like, not the kids. They give me the remote. I said, well, I want the remote. Then yeah, you pay for the TV. You can have your own remote. <laughs> and so like Jesus says, man, I'm, I want to come in and I want you to welcome me in in that capacity. I want, 
I want your life. I want everything about you. Like, I want your house. I, I want you to think of this as this is not your truck. This is my truck. This is not your wife. This is my wife. This is not your children. These are my children. You're just taking care of them for me right now. And that's a whole different way to look at it. Say, God will come in. I will sup with you and you with me. What is he knocking on? He's knocking on the door of your heart. He wants to make himself at home. And so when we open the door, man, we quit playing church. We let Christ in and life will start to come out. Life will never come out of you as long as you keep Jesus at arm distance. So he says, buy the gold, buy the garment, buy the eye salve, be rich, be righteous, be aware. See what's really important in your life. But understand this, there's a cost, and the cost is your life. It's actually a bargain, because all that the Lord does when we give Him our lives is incredible. Like it, I'm just blown away by it as I look back over the last 30 years of of since I opened the door. Like, you, I'm going to tell you something, man. When I was nine, I opened the door. When I was 15, I told Jesus, it's a little crowded in this house right now. We kind of need you to either get back there in the closet or just don't come out right now, Jesus. And when I was 22, man, I was like, what in, what in, I'm an idiot. And I realized, man, I was throwing my life away. And I told Jesus, come back in here. Here's the remote, man. Here's the keys. Like, what do you, whatever you want, Jesus, even before you ask it, it's yours. I don't even need to know what it is, Jesus. You can do whatever you want in my life. I don't care because I know that you're knocking, and my life doesn't work unless I open the door and let you in. And, man, he's come in, and, and I, I've had a great life. And I'm going to tell you what. I, when it comes to finances, I'm not, I'm not wealthy but I'm rich. <laughs> I, would, I, I don't think I could have a better experience than I've had up to this point. I just, I mean, I could die tomorrow and I'm good. A lot of people say, well, I, I want to see my kids do this. My, I, I sure I do. I'd love to see that too. I love my kids. But listen, let me tell you something. I love Jesus more than I love my kids. And Jesus has helped me love my kids better than I could ever love my kids and be a better father because of my love for him in that capacity. Like, like I love Jesus more than I love Abby. And it's a good thing for Abby that I love Jesus more than I do her because I couldn't love her the way that I love her unless I love Jesus the way that I love him. See, that's the way it works. It doesn't work. Like, there's no halfway. Like, ah, ah. You got to get in there and let the Lord do something. And so maybe for you today, you say, I've asked Jesus to get in the closet and it's time to let him back out in the house. And maybe for you, it's like, I never opened the door, man. Maybe he's knocking on the door of your heart and today you just need to open up and say, Jesus, I don't want to be neighbors. I want you to live with me. Come on in. You be my Lord and Savior. Show me how to live this life that you died to give me. I want to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Those of you watching online, man, same, same goes for you. Like, what is, is the Lord knocking on the door of your heart today? Do you need to let him in, man? Do you need to let him in so life will come out? Now, look, I, I, I'm going to give you a time here. Corey's going to lead us in a, in a song. 
I want to give you time to like really think about this because really what preaching is designed to do is to help you think about what you can't see because they're so distracted by everything you can see. So like, man, that's why I asked you to close your eyes. Like, see with your spiritual eyes right now. Think about all the truth that I've dropped today and ask yourself, man, where do I line up with this stuff? And if the Lord is calling, man, if he's calling you to take a step of obedience, then take that step of obedience and then tell somebody about it. You'll never regret it. And let the Lord start running the spiritual water out of your life so that others may be refreshed. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, as we all sit in this moment, just for a a few moments of reflection about the truth that we've heard. Like, would you just do what only you can do, Holy Spirit? Like, in each heart, like, if, if you're, like, give people the courage to open the door. <laughs> like, Lord, people who need to recommit, help them to recommit. People who need to have courage in an area, Lord, where they're really, they're trying to hold on to the remote and decide what should be done. And they, they Give them the courage to give you the remote. And show you, let them, let you show them what you want them to see. Like, help us to walk that way. Plan us as a church that way, Lord. That's what the world needs. It doesn't need another, just another cool church or another big church. It needs a church filled with people, Lord, who are listening to you and know how to teach other people to do the same thing. And so that's what we ask that you would do through the ministry of OPCC. Help us never to be lukewarm. Help us to always be white hot. Have your way in each person, Lord. And I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at overlandpark.cc.